money and possessions is, is everything I have is, is a privilege um, ultimately and uh, everything that is given to myself given to my family is ultimately from God and what I have is enough and it, it allows me to get the job done for what I'm using it for so in my 20s um, I didn't tithe much at all to be honest um, even going through university I was still working all the time and I didn't tithe and it wasn't till I had Chloe and realized that money was tight and I'm like why am I always having money problems and was convicted to start tithing and started tithing regularly and I haven't had money problems or like God has always provided for me since then giving faithfully he's always provided and I don't have to worry about it I remember the calling uh, being put on my heart uh, to to give. I, I've been giving my time faithfully to the church, but I, I felt the calling to give more. And, and uh, money is a resource, and so I started tithing faithfully. And um, each time I did that, I just felt so much more joy in just doing that. My wife and I are both teachers. Um, when we went on strike, just just last year, um, having zero income into our home, um, it got a little stressful. We were wondering how we're going to put food on the table and pay our bills. But in the midst of all of that, we still found the money to give faithfully. Um, our bills were paid. Um, we had food on the table. We had food in our fridge. We were able to have a vacation over the summer. God provided for us. We were faithful with our giving and continued to give, and our needs were met. We just gave it to God and put it in His hands. When we got married, um, we had uh, the allure of one day owning a large home. Um, uh, currently, we live in a small two-story townhouse in Chilliwack, and um, yeah, just over our two and a half years of marriage, um, I've been feeling more contentment, um, contentment with my wages, contentment with um, with, with our home. Um, I feel our home is very blessed, and uh, out of that, I just, I feel, I feel joy. I feel joy. I don't have to, I'm not looking at the MLS listings daily and, and driving by, pining at, old, at homes and all one day. Um, that allows me to be freed up, and I can focus on other things, and, and um, freed up financially, um, so we're not pressed into a large mortgage, so we're freed up um, to, to give and not be stressed out and burdened down with, with finances. You know, sometimes people view money as a hard thing to give away, and we're not giving it away when we give it to the church. We're giving it to the glory of God. We're giving it to further his kingdom. Um, we're giving it to our community, family. to family. And uh, we have to look at, do we love our community? Do we love God? Do we love our family? And how can we help? And that's just a small tidbit in how we can help. Well, good morning. I don't know if... Uh, uh, 
Um, Amber and, uh, and Shane are here, but if they are, thank you so much for that testimony. Uh, they hit on without us coordinating. <laughs> I didn't even talk to them before I hearing this testimony. They hit on so many points that God wants to bring to our attention today. Uh, so uh, I'm going to refer to some of the things that they said. So God wants to speak to us today from Luke chapter 12. This is his word. So I encourage you to open your Bibles there, Luke 12, verses 16 through 21, as we continue our current uh, sermon series entitled Generous the open hands of the gospel. This is my uh, introduction to this series in terms of preaching, uh, but from several conversations I've had with people outside of the, uh, the staff offices where we talk about uh, our preaching all the time, uh, the conversations that I've been part of outside of that, um, people have said that this series has been a couple of things. It's been both challenging and convicting, yet... It's been affirming and encouraging. And that is a tough balance to achieve given the highly sensitive and emotional nature of this subject. It really is. The top two issues uh, that are first to divide and destroy relationships, particularly marriages but also churches, are sex and money. And not in that order. So kudos to Pastor Matt for handling this subject well. I trust that I can do the same. However, it's not about us. It's not about what he says or I say. It's about what God says. So let's go there, okay? Luke chapter 12, verse 16. It says this. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Wow, that's a heavy one. <laughs> so we got to take a moment to pray about this. <laughs> Lord, we need you in this teaching. This is a hard one. It's an emotional one. It affects us because it's about not just money and it's about possessions and it's about the things, the tangible things that we can see that we judge each other on. And so... I pray, God, that you would speak today. Lord, this is your word, and we thank you for it, even these hard teachings in our culture. Um, we need you. We need you to uh, massage and, and, and warm and open our hearts and our minds, our hands, our ears, to hear what you are saying to us today. So would you do that, God? Speak now uh, by your Holy Spirit through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. There is a lot going on in this text. It's a few, it's short, but there's so much packed in here. But before we can get to this text, we need to understand context. And I'm going to expand the circle a few times this morning. Let's look at immediate context. So we do need to back up to verse 13 to understand this, verses 16 through 21. So backing up, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, the estate, the, the possessions. Jesus said, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? 
Then he said to them, all of them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see, the key issue here is not necessarily the abundance of possessions. It's not even about being rich or being blessed with a good crop or having big barns. It's not the issue. Jesus reduces the real issue to this, greed. Greed, 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 four times I'm going to talk about it today, is the enemy of generosity. That's my thesis or the controlling idea behind this entire passage. Greed is the enemy of generosity. Let's expand the circle of context just a little bit more and back up to chapter 11. We have to do this. So I have to go all the way back to verse 37 of chapter 11. There we read, When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. And then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. After which, he discourses long and passionately about the fact that they, yes, they gave. They gave a tenth of all they owned, while, but at the same time they neglected justice They did not love the poor. They did not love God. He talked to them about prominence and importance and the best seats of the synagogue that they always had to have. He talked about them putting religious, legalistic burdens on the people that they were never meant to bear. So not surprisingly, from that point on, Scripture says in verse 53 of chapter 11, it says uh, there that they began to oppose him fiercely because he was pushing some buttons in their lives and they did not like it. So, verse chapter 12, verse 1, it says, So when a crowd of many thousands gathered, so much that they were trampling on one another, uh, to hear Jesus teach about this subject because he pushed buttons, because the Pharisees were upset with him, because from that time point on, there was a price on Jesus' head, literally, because they were so upset by what he was saying to them. This crowd gathered. Everyone loves a good fight, right? I wanted to see what's going on. He began first with his disciples in chapter 12, verse 1, and he said, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, hypocrisy which was absolutely rooted in greed and wickedness of all kinds. You see, greed comes in many colors. That's why this teaching is not just about money or possessions. Greed comes in many colors. That's, why, uh, that's what Jesus said here in our text in verse 15. He said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. It's not just money, possessions. Greed often manifests in those ways, but it can also manifest in the desire for power and control over other people. It can manifest in status, in importance, in wanting to have this instead of someone else. It could be a seat in the synagogue, a seat in church. You see, one can be both poor and greedy. As I've already stated, 
in our immediate context, greed is the issue. It's not money. So we need to deal with that. You see, a certain rich man was a matter of fact. The fact that this guy was rich wasn't a big deal. Good crops are a blessing. They are a fact of life. Um, I mean, what what farmer wouldn't want a a bumper crop? (laughs) And God gives those things because Scripture says that God loves to give good gifts to his children. Matthew 7. The problem or the issue is what transpires in this man's thinking in what the Lord had blessed him with. And not just his thinking, but his actions subsequent to his blessing from the Lord. Tight-fisted, greedy, selfish, self-serving attitudes and actions are the issues at hand, which Jesus said, if you look at context on the other side of our text for this morning, they cause worry, they cause stress. And if you go on from verse 35 and on in chapter 13, 14, 15, it also, a a focus and greed and being tight-fisted and so concerned with abundance and possessions not only causes us unnecessary worry and stress, but it takes our focus away in the kingdom of God. That's the issue. Because we're no longer focused on the gospel. And so today, what I'm going to talk about isn't so much a railing against possessions. I, I hope I'm not doing that. I don't want to rail against money and possessions as I want to reclaim the gospel. And at the very heart of the gospel is generosity, which is the antidote to greed. So there's the completion of my thesis. Greed is the enemy of generosity, and generosity is the antidote for greed, which is the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're going to come back to that. We cannot have both greed and generosity, just like Jesus said, that we cannot serve two masters. So let's talk about greed first, but then let's talk about generosity Let's talk first about the cause of greed. Jesus said that greed is wicked and evil. That's what it is. But what causes that? You see, um, again, not to overemphasize the point, but again, money's not the issue. The love of money is one form of greed. And the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but evil itself, evil, wickedness, is greed. And so... Greed is rooted in wrong thinking and distorted thinking. And wrong thinking is rooted in the evil one who appeals to our flesh using the things of the world. Satan will appeal using the things of the world, the things we see around us, to appeal to our sinful nature, to our innate wickedness and penchant for evil and hook us to become greedy. Greedy for all kinds of things. Did you notice the thought process of this man? Let's look at it again. Verse 16. And as we're going through it, please notice the focus on self. We're going to talk about this. So he told him this parable. Okay, matter of fact, certain rich man, his ground produced a good crop. Now, he thought to himself, you see, that was his first mistake. (laughs) He started having this conversation with himself. Man, has anybody been there? You try to justify things. He's like, oh, okay, well, if I just did this and I did this, and oh, wow. You see, he didn't consult with God. Didn't even thank him. Didn't ask God what he should do with the crop. He didn't even go to his, like, accountant or, or whatever and say, hey, like, what do you think? Like, what are the implications? He didn't go to a friend. He just thought to himself. 
What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store my grain, all of my grain and my goods and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. Me, myself and I. Having a conversation. But it began in his thought process and the longer he talked about it and talked to himself, the more convoluted and twisted it became. And this did not come from God. I want to read two verses in the book of 1 John. First chapter 2, verse 16, then chapter 5, verse 19. 1 John 2, 19 says this, For everything in the world, the cravings of the of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he does and what he has, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And then John says this, And we know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of who? the evil one. Greed, which is evil and wicked, is rooted in the evil one who feeds our thinking. And it comes through things in the world that we see every single day of our lives. One of, greatest Satan's, one of Satan's greatest tactics is to appeal to our flesh and our thinking and our reasoning by things of the world. You cannot drive down a street and look at the billboards or watch a television show and the commercials and it'll tell you over and over again. The messages are over and over again. If you don't have this, 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 and this. If you don't have the right car, the right gum, the right shoes, the right whatever, you're not successful. You're not wealthy. And this has been happening since day one so we need to be really careful what messages we're listening to. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He's very crafty. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And then he went on a little further. Verse 4, you will not surely die if you do this. So Satan is crafty and he, he, he... tells some lies and he uses some deception and all of a sudden Adam and Eve start thinking, oh, maybe God didn't say that. Maybe maybe this will be a good thing if we just take a little taste. What What did Satan do when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4? He tempted him three times and I always find the first one I can understand, you know, because Jesus was hungry, he was fasting, and so Satan came along and offered him, you know, tell these stones to become bread. Um, It's interesting uh, that Satan also can quote scripture. He knows it, but he'll twist it according to what he wants to tell us. And Jesus didn't fall for that trap. He also quoted scripture being the very word of God and knowing the word of God, the Old Testament. Jesus came back and said, no, 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 this is what God said. This is what it means. But the second thing is, you know, Satan took Jesus up into this high point. He said, look out at all of this stuff. He said, if you will just fall down and worship me, I'll give it all to you. Like, how could Satan say that? Was it his? The whole world is under the control of the evil one. What we see around us, friends, is now under the control of Satan, but not forever. So we got to be careful. 
what we're listening to. Why was Lucifer cast from heaven when he became Satan, the devil? It's because he wanted to be God and, and to have what God had. It drove him crazy that he couldn't have it. We read that in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. His nature, Satan's nature, is pure greed. And he doesn't know how to do anything else but lie and deceive us and to cause us to become greedy as well. And so Satan will tempt us according to his nature, which is greed, lies, and deception, and our weakness, <laughs> the cravings of the flesh and the things that we see in this world. So this is the cause. I just want to look very briefly at Romans chapter 1. Paul, Paul affirms all of this in Romans 1. He talks about the wrath of God that is being revealed from heaven against all the wickedness of men. Then it says in verse 21, they neither knew God nor glorified him nor gave thanks to him, but in their, their thinking became futile. It was a matter of their thought process. And what did that lead to? It led to all this stuff, sexual immorality, perversion of all kinds, unnatural relationships between men and men and women and women. But let's not stop there. Verse 28, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God, not their own knowledge, they, we're futile in our thinking. We need the knowledge of God. Amen? It says he gave them over to a depraved mind. They didn't even know how to think anymore. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Greed is lumped in, friends, with murder, with sexual immorality, with all of these things. And the cause, it starts in our thought process, but we are, we are tempted by Satan through the things of this world and our thinking, our own knowledge takes over and it happened to this man, the rich man in Luke 12. Let's keep going. That's the cause. What about the condition of greed? What does greed look like? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's so much more to it than the descriptions found in this text here, but we're just going to stick with these, which is more than enough. It's very convicting. <laughs> we don't need to look elsewhere to know what greed looks like. Number one, bigger is better. That's what he said to himself. Bigger is better. Unnecessary building. You know, he took perfectly good barns and he tore them down to build bigger ones. Now, like, I grew up on a farm. When you get a bumper crop, I guess you have a choice of tearing down your barns and building bigger ones, but, I mean, the guys I knew, and it happened to us, if you don't have enough bins, you just build a temporary one, right? You put just down a platform, maybe a wall this high of, of plywood, or you just pile it up in a cone till it's starting to spill over, then you cover it with a tarp. I mean, you do whatever you can because you know that it's not going to be there forever. You just have to store it temporarily. This guy said, nope, bigger is better. Number two, the future is so bright, i got to wear shades. <laughs> Since when do we know anything about the future? I do not know a minute from now if we're even going to be sitting here. I mean, the fire alarm could go and we're all out. Right? We don't know. This guy said, hmm, you've got plenty of good things laid up for many years. Really? Really? 
We don't know the future. But what God makes abundantly clear in this text is that he holds the future. Oh, we have to put the focus on God. He's the only one that knows what's happening a minute from now. We don't. Number three, what else does it look like? Easy street. I've got it made. I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I reconnected at our, our BC uh, convention, like our conference of churches holds an annual convention. So I reconnected with a man named David Leung. We, I was actually, we were part of each other's ministries in Richmond, Richmond Bethel, Richmond Chinese MBI. I spoke in their, in their church many times. I love David. We did so much together. He was hired this last year as an associate conference minister together with Ron Van Acker under uh, Rob Thiessen as the conference uh, pastor to oversee all of the Chinese churches in our province. And there's a lot. The, the Chinese are, uh, Christians in this, in this province is growing rapidly. It's amazing. And so David Leung took on that role. What I love about David was, um, when, I, when I knew him, he was working long, hard hours while being very involved in the church um, as a very successful businessman in the tech industry. <laughs> I mean, and then, and then he sold it all early young to retire but what I love about David was that he said now I'm freed up to do more ministry so he hooked up with a conference he started doing stewardship ministries to teach people how to handle possessions and wealth then he took on this role full-time with the with the uh, conference overseeing all of our Chinese ministries with as an associate minister he's doing it for free he's not taking anything and I, I talked to him on the weekend. I said, David, like, do you ever go back to the business world? I asked him, I said, and do uh, consulting or whatever? He goes, Eldon, no, I don't. He goes, for a few reasons. Number one, I don't have time for that. He said, secondly, I'm, I'm, I'm 61, not 16. I got nothing to prove. He goes, third, where do I draw the line once I start? People ask me all the time. He said, there is far too much kingdom work to do. <laughs> oh, I love that man. Love that man. No easy street. Sure, he enjoys life, but his number one priority is the kingdom of God and seeing churches grow and people reach with the gospel. Oh, man, I've got to move on. What else does it mean? What, is, what does greed look like? It looks like hoarding. We've we got to define two words in this text, which I haven't got to yet. The first is greed itself. The word greed is this, a strong desire to acquire more and more material possessions or to possess more things than other people have, all irrespective of need. The word is pleonexia. Think plethora, which means full, abundance, a very large amount or number, an amount that is much greater than what is necessary, can be translated as well as avarice or covetousness. Let's look at the word abundance. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. Abundance means over and above, more than enough, excessive, unnecessary hoarding. Um, any of you familiar with Howard Hughes? He was sort of like the Bill Gates when I was growing up. Like we didn't even have the internet, right, when I was a kid. So Howard Hughes was the billionaire. So he, his net worth between, in the later years of his life, he lived 1905 to 1976. His net worth was $1.5 billion. In today's terms, about $6.25 Very wealthy. Near the end of his life, Howard Hughes became eccentric, 
very obsessive, recluse. He refused to cut his hair, his toenails, and his fingernails because he didn't want anyone else to have them. You know what he also did? He bottled his own urine. That is nasty. Because no one else could have it. It's his. Right? Anybody like the shows on TV, I forget which channel, uh, to, Till Death Do Us Part and Princess? I love those shows. Marcy and I watch them all the time. They're about people who fall into the trap of, of money possessions, uh, just in debt, uh, overwhelmed, the princess mentality. One time the host, I forget her name, she always gives a challenge. She gave this, this young woman in her twi- early 20s a challenge uh, to uh, shed some of her uh, possessions. She had to reduce her wardrobe to just 40 of everything. Okay? 40. So you see her going through her jeans and she's got like about 84, 85 pair of jeans. And she was freaking out because she did not know how to reduce it to just 40. And she had even more shoes. Didn't even know what to do with them all. I think Pastor Matt has talked about this, but Tony Campolo refers to the 1940s and 50s when the average home was around eight, 900 square feet. In the 70s, it bumped up another 100. It hit the 1,000 mark on average. And today, we have homes that are 23, 25 to 3,000 on average, somewhere in there. And you know what? Our, uh, we have less children and bigger homes. So what are the homes for? I mean, 800 square feet, 6, 8, 10 kids. Now, 3,000 square feet, 1, 2 kids, maybe. For our stuff. One of the biggest industries is the storage locker industry. I mean, so now we've got these homes that can't contain all of our stuff. We even have to rent storage lockers to put it all in. But not for our kids. Compare this to 20 years before the 50s when my mom was born. I remember my mom talking to me one time. She grew up on a farm in Saskatchewan. And one Christmas, they were lavished upon. And they were handed on Christmas morning a paper bag that was full of peanuts, one orange, and a pencil. And she thought she had hit the jackpot. She had a pencil. How much is enough? Uh, Seneca, the Roman philosopher, said, It is not the man who has little, but he who desires more that is poor. It's not the man who has little, but he who always desires more that is poor. I got to move on. What else does greed look like? So you've got all of these things, hoarding, arrogance. This guy who was commanding, the the, the man in the crowd, the real man here, not the guy in the parable, he, he said he commanded and demanded something of Jesus and Jesus didn't like that. He didn't get involved. But what's interesting later is that God demanded of him, his life. Looks like self. So you've got arrogance, you've got self, me, myself, and I, vanity, narcissism, entitlement. It's all in here. The bottom line is I think that greed is a statement that goes something like this. What God has promised me or says that I need or has already given is not good enough. I think that's what greed is. It's telling God, 
It's not good enough. Let's move on. Let's look at the cost of greed. There is a cost. We see that in this passage. Got the cause, the condition, the cost. Entrapment. Has anybody, um, anybody seen a monkey trap? You know, what, you know what a monkey trap is? Literally, for to trap monkeys. So it can be a small hole in the side of a hill where there's ants or some kind of food placed in there, or it can be a coconut with a small hole drilled in it with a chain attached. And so what happens is you put something that entices the monkey in the hole, which is just big enough for him to get his hand into like this, right? And then when he's got it in, he grabs whatever's in there, food or trinket, and he can't get it out because he's got his fist on there. And then somebody will run up behind him and put a bag over his head and he's trapped. And that's what greed does to us. It leads to bondage. It's entrapment. We become slaves to that which masters us. Our possessions and our money can literally rule our lives and take away Christ's rule from our lives. The cost of greed is entrapment. It is distraction. Our watchfulness and our readiness to engage in the work of the kingdom is hindered. If you look at the context, verse 35 and on, you have this dichotomy here. You've got this... Uh, this um, comparison between the master and the manager or servant. And the manager or servant who is not watchful, who's distracted by other things, is not engaged in the kingdom of God. So you've got another cost is worry. The immediate context behind this text is all about worry. It's the same as Matthew 6. Always worried about, oh, do I have enough to eat? Do I have enough to wear? Number four, another cost is waste. I've already talked about that. You know what's interesting is this guy thought, hey, you know, he's going to store all this grain for years. I mean, like, again, I grew up on a farm. I know what happens when you store grain one season, let alone years. Yeah, it'll sprout, it'll mold. It gets gross. You have to give half of it to the birds. It's wasteful. But the biggest cost is that God performs an audit of our lives and there's a penalty, a heavy price to pay. It's tax time, so we're familiar with audits. It's on our mind. Somebody in our family last year was audited, came up owing $10,000. It's like, ooh, that hurts. I was audited last year. Government wanted to know if what I gave, interesting, <laughs> what I gave was what I actually gave. So I had to scan all of my receipts and I had to upload them to their site. Got a letter six weeks, six weeks later saying, you're good to go. It's like, Phew. <laughs> everything's good. So I was happy for that. But if the audit is unfavorable, as it was in this man's case, there's a price to pay, a very heavy price. And when I read this, I thought to myself, really? That's like pretty harsh. Surely this applies just to this guy, not to me. I'm safe, right? You see, what's interesting is that this is a parable. A parable is a story that is meant to teach a spiritual principle which has a general application. It's kind of hard to get around verse 21. This is how, Jesus said, it will be with who? Anyone who stores up things for himself and himself only, but is not rich towards God. There's a cost. 
Remember Romans 1? I, th- I think, okay, is that, okay, there's this teaching, there's Romans 1. Is that just a one-off? I mean, Paul's thinking, um, I wish I had time to read Colossians 3, but Colossians 3, boy, there is a cost. Again, greed is lumped in with sexual immorality, with murder, with all of these things, and Paul said those who live this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ouch. And yet we rail against sexual immorality and not even all kinds of sexual immorality, just certain kinds. We rail against that, but we don't touch this because it's so close to home, right, in our affluent North American culture. kind of makes people nervous. makes me nervous. Does, does this teaching make you nervous? It makes me nervous. It makes me think. And you see, there's this thing called free will, where God gives us the power to make decisions over our, what we, he's given us, over whether we're going to choose him or not. God won't mess with that. That's, that. That is actually under our control that God can't touch, our free will. But you know who messes with it? Satan messes with it. Oh, he messes with it. And here's the thing. When we deal with this issue, when we deal with our our stuff, he can deal with our soul. When we deal with our stuff, he can deal with our soul. That's the issue. It's an issue of the gospel. So what's the cure? Three things. Here's the cure. Jesus said, watch out, verse 15. We have to pay very careful attention. We have to get our head out of the sand. Uh, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but on Thursday, actually, I was driving to work. My daughter asked me for a ride to work. Took her down the hill. And um, uh, right-hand turn, red light. And I was actually watching vehicles come through on an arrow turning left. And I wasn't watching... Uh, Oh, no, actually, I was watching traffic to the left. I stopped and I was looking, is there anybody coming? And then I was going to go, but there was people turning left on an arrow. My daughter's like, dad, 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 watch out. Is that close? That's what Jesus said, watch out, pay attention, because there's going to be trouble if we don't pay attention to this. And you know what? You know how we have to watch out, pay attention? We have to know God's word. We have to know what it says because Satan will nail us every time if we don't. Second, we have to be on our guard. This word, be on our guard, verse 15, Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard. It means to defend yourself. It means to keep yourself from harm. And this word is cool. It is a present middle imperative. (laughs) Yeah, Ron, (laughs) I knew you'd like that. An imperative means that now Jesus is commanding us, watch out. Present tense means now and every day. It never stops, and it is now. You know what the middle voice means? It means that the subject is being affected by his or her own action. We cannot rely on anyone else to do this for us. It's us. And I implore you, church, be on your guard. Be careful of the messages the world sends you, that Satan sends you through the world. Be careful of them. Be careful of your thought process. And you know, this is a matter of spiritual warfare. It is, but spiritual warfare we often confuse for things that it's not. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul said, 
you know, that we fight with weapons that are not of the world. And how do we do it? We take every thought captive because our thoughts are opposed to God's thoughts. Like read that passage in 2 Corinthians 10. We've got to take these things captive. Paul said, or Peter said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We have to resist. But here's the greatest cure. We need to be rich toward God. Verse 21, giving or generosity is the antidote for greed. And I want to come back to that word because this is cool. You ready for it? This is a, such a nugget that I found this week. And I want to give it to you so that you can give it away. Remember the, the Greek word for uh, greed? It is the word pleonexia. Do you remember which word is a derivative of pleonexia? Plethora. Plethora is abundance, a very large amount or number, a number that is greater than what is necessary. Now, I am not a medical professional, and in fact, I, ev- I, I even hesitate to do this because there are so many of them among us. I have to be careful. But in my research of the word plethora, I discovered that it's actually a medical term, which is synonymous with polycythemia, which is a bodily condition that is characterized by two many red blood cells in circulation, resulting in excess blood and increased blood volume and also a thickening of the blood, which can be very serious. It can make you quite ill, this excess. So what's the cure? See, this is where I stumble except for this point, the first thing they try is by removing some of the blood volume. Take it out. Or they do a partial exchange transfusion, which means removing and replacing volume, simply stated, you got to get rid of some. Give. Be generous. Get it out. So that the problem can be corrected. Richard Foster in his book, Money, Sex, and Power, said just the very act of letting go of money or of some other treasure does something within us. It destroys the demon greed. Love that. have another book by Richard Foster. I wish I could read the whole chapter on the discipline of simplicity, but read the celebration of discipline. It's awesome. And I wish I could develop a whole theology this morning on giving, but I don't have time other than to say what Amber and Shane said is dead on. They struggled when they didn't give. When they they gave, those worries left, and their needs were met. This is the one area of our discipleship, friends, where God actually says in Malachi 3, test me in it, test me. He went to his people and said, you're robbing me. The blessing I've given to you, you're hoarding. You're not giving it away like you're supposed to. You're hoarding it. You're keeping it for yourself. And because you're robbing me, there's, there's discipline. So he said, test me. See, if, 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 you don't, if you bless others, just see if I don't open the storehouses of heaven in your life. And you see, if our bucket is full and we're carrying it around, how can God fill it? But when we dump it out, he can fill it again. And so I urge you, family, to give. Be a blessing. Be rich toward God. 
Start small, but start somewhere. Jesus, even the act of giving a cup of cold water to someone is, is giving to him. Maybe it's the widow's might. Someone once said, we are rich only through what we give. And that is so true. There is a movement these days of downsizing. In fact, uh, it was in the news in Vancouver uh, just this week. Um, and it's, it's such a big movement that um, HDTV developed a series called Tiny House Nation. Everybody, anybody heard of this? Tiny House Nation? I love it. Um, I, can I encourage us to become a tiny house nation? I, I don't mean literally. I'm not, okay, I'm not asking you to sell your home. Not asking you to sell your home and move into a, you know, a 256 square foot house on wheels <laughs> with your uh, family of five. But what I am asking of us is to resist the tendency to accumulate, accumulate, accumulate to the point of greed where riches toward God suffers. And it's a heart issue. It's a mentality that I am as easily caught up in as any of us. We have to resist it. When you stop to think about it, this is what Jesus did. Amen? He left the glory of heaven and he lowered himself. He took on human flesh. He ultimately gave of himself so that we could be saved. Talk about the ultimate tiny house nation episode. We should do one on Jesus sometime. Jesus went from mansions of glory to the Son of Man has no place to lay his head and he did it all for me and he did it all for you. Christ was generous. He opened his hands to the point of allowing them to be pierced for your transgressions and mine to give of his very blood so that we could be saved. And that's what this series is all about. It's about being generous for the kingdom, the gospel. And if Jesus did it, so should we. In fact, it was Jesus said, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full Satan came to take. Jesus came to give. How can we respond in any other way? With the open hands of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, this world knows only how to take, take, take. And they've learned it from our enemy. So we, we want to resist that, Lord, in your power and in your strength. Teach us what it means to store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy, where people can't break in and steal. Teach us what it means to be rich towards you and whatever that looks like for us. Lord, from your word, I know that there's only two things, I think, that make it to heaven. The first are our prayers. They're there. And the second is people. We're not going to be taking our possessions with us. That's clear. So Lord, help us to focus on people and help us to pray so that the gospel can be shared, so that people can be saved because you gave. Lord, teach us to give for your sake and your kingdom. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and sing. I think they're going to bless us out with one song here. Go enjoy the day.